0: Hi, this is Christian Life Fellowship. My name is Pastor John, and this is the recording from Sunday, May 16th. So so here we are. We, um, Am I okay right here? I'm okay. All right. So we're at, we're at the conclusion of this story of Ruth and Boaz, and um, we're in Chapter 4. If you want to turn there or click there in your Bible, you can follow along. And so as a reminder, so you know what's happening in this story, because this is the last chapter, Ruth has proposed marriage to Boaz, as he is the family redeemer. But um, we find out that there's actually one person, one closer relative to Naomi, who is you know, Naomi being Ruth's mother-in-law, who, according to Jewish law, also gets to decide if he might want to potentially marry Ruth. And, and now Boaz wants to marry Ruth, right? They, they have spent several weeks together working in the harvest. And um, it, it would appear as though he is smitten with her. And um, smitten, who uses that word anymore, right? That's a good word, though. Uh, but he is. He is taken with her. He wants to marry her. And so he has to find out if this other man is interested or not. So Boaz, the next day, he goes to the city gate. And the reason for that is because in Jewish culture, the city gate was where judicial or legal matters were resolved by the elders, by those who, um, you know, the people in, in the city had confidence in and the respect of people. And so Boaz is there. Well, he's there. So verse 1 says that while he's there, the other man comes along. And, and actually, so the, the New Living uh, Testament says it like this. It says that just then the family redeemer... Boaz had mentioned came by so Boaz called out to him come over here and sit down friend I want to talk to you now the way it's written makes it sound as though it's um it's maybe just a chance meeting but if, if you consider this whole story right if you consider you know from the start to, to the end the, these whole four chapters and how God is at work in the everyday details of this story Uh, Of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz's life, I I think this is anything but a random event, right, that this guy just happens to be walking by, and so, you you know, the thing is, the Bible is full of miraculous and supernatural acts of God, and we should pay attention to those, but God also works in the day-to-day aspects of our lives. God is at work in our day-to-day lives, and, you know, so, Guys, an example, when you run into a friend at the, in, in the coffee shop or in the grocery store, um, God knew that that was going to happen in your day. It's not just random. It's not just a chance. God knew it. He was aware that you would interact with that person in that day. And so, you know, it's just really good practice for us, each and every one of us, to be aware That God actually wants to be involved in the day-to-day moments, interactions of our lives. Yeah, he's miraculous, he's supernatural, absolutely. But he's also very actively involved in those day-to-day moments. Those, what we might call, chance encounters. And to God, they just simply don't exist. He uses those moments. Psalm 37 and 23 says this, it says... The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Now, the word delight here in the original language, which is is Hebrew, um, it's written in Hebrew often just paints a picture. Like Hebrew words paint pictures for us and help us understand what God's up to. And so the word delight there, it means to be pleased with, which seems obvious, right? But it also means this, the word delight there means to incline or to bend down, right? So it's to, to bend down towards, to incline towards the person. This is the, 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 the picture that it paints because the context being every detail of our lives is that God is leaning into us. He's leaning in towards us. He's getting closer to us, paying attention to us, to every detail of our lives all the time. God is always paying attention to us. And many times, right, we go about our days not thinking about him. And, and I understand because life happens, right? I, I do the same. And we, we forget that God is always, we can tend to forget that God is always paying attention to us, to every detail. And what he wants is for each and every one of us to include him as much as we can into every detail. Because there isn't anything about your life that he doesn't already know all about it and that he doesn't already care deeply about it. Jesus said it like this. He said, God the Father knows how many hairs you have on your head. Right? And for some of us, it's easier for him to count than others. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, but he knows how many hairs you have on your head. Now, think about that. Because why would you want to know such a, what seems to be an unimportant detail? Except that he's God and he, could just, he can just know. But he knows. Why does he know? Because he cares. He cares so deeply about us. He even knows how many hairs we have on our head. And so if, if he knows that, it, it, what it should tell us, what it should speak to us is that we can trust him with the really important details of our lives. With the things that really matter to us because if, if they matter to us, they matter to him. And lots of times, we I think we can find ourselves wondering if it matters to him. But, but the thing we need to know is God is at work in everyday details. This is what it means when it says that he delights in every detail of our life. He's leaning in and paying attention. And, and what I want is for us to be a people that see God at work in the everyday details of life. Because we're looking for him in it. We're including him in it. And so in this story, right, this man sits down with Boaz, and they begin discussing a land matter. Naomi is selling the piece of land that was owned by her late husband, Elimelech. And if the family redeemer wouldn't buy it, which, if you remember from last week, was a family redeemer's responsibility, then if he wouldn't buy it, then Boaz was more than willing to buy the land. That's verses 2 to 4 in chapter 4. And so the man, right away, he agrees to buy the land. But uh, there's a bit of a catch. If he bought the land, it also would have meant that he would have to marry Ruth. And um, it's a bit of a package deal. Again, um, this is just how the culture worked back then. And so that's verse 5. And so the man, he's interested in the land, but he doesn't want uh, to marry Ruth. And the reason he says is that it might um, endanger his estate. So it doesn't explain that. But probably what that means is um, the man already had sons, and um, and they would someday inherit his his estate. Um, and so, if he married Ruth and they produced sons, those sons would actually be considered the sons of Ruth's first husband. Okay, not his sons. And so when. Um, Someday they would then inherit the land. That was a family redeemer's job, was to make sure that a family was able to um, survive, but also um, continue in owning lands and uh, all those kind of things. And so he, he's not interested. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to do that. And really, Boaz is pretty shrewd here, right? Um, and uh, you have to appreciate his approach because it wasn't about the land to him. If you remember from the very first verse, or the very first chapter, Boaz is, um, he's wealthy already. So it's not about the land to him. He wants to marry Ruth. So the agreement's made. And then it, it says in verse 9 and 10, Boaz, I, I don't know if they always did this, but he's clearly, I, I, would, I interpret it as though he's clearly excited about what's happening because it says that in verse 9 and 10, he stands up and he announces it to everybody, the city gates. I'm buying the land and I'm marrying Ruth. And so, um, uh, so he tells everybody. And, and if you have been following along in this series, you'll remember that Ruth is not a Hebrew woman. Okay, she's from the nation of Moab, so she's a foreigner, she's an outsider, that the actual Hebrew laws didn't have to apply to her. They didn't have to treat her this way, and yet he did. And, And when Ruth left Moab with Naomi, she really, at that time, what she would have understood was that she was giving up her best chance at getting remarried. Again, in that culture and in that day, uh, a, a woman needed a man to provide for her. Um, boy, I feel like I'm just so wrong by saying that because we know, but our culture is just very different now, right? But in that time, that was how it worked. And so she understood when she left Moab, she was really probably giving up her best chance at getting remarried. And in the first chapter of the story of Ruth, she states that what she really wants is to is to follow God and to put God first in her life. Right? It's where she says, Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. Right? This is what that's what she's saying. And now here we are. We're at the end of the story, and God is redeeming Ruth's tragedy. He's restoring her future. Because this is what God does. This is who God is. When we put Him first in our lives, We can trust him to redeem our story. And and I understand that, you know, to the human mind, it won't necessarily make sense to us all the time that God can redeem tragedy, that, you know, I think our human mind often wonders how God can, can, you know, make something good come out of something bad. But we see over and over again in the Bible that God makes a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. It says that he works all things together for good for those who love him. It says that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies because what that means is he can turn the tables on a difficult situation. This is who God is. So Boaz and Ruth, they get married. And it's not long before they have their first child and it's a son. That's verse 13 that the, the gift of children was never taken for granted or lightly in uh, Israel. They, they celebrated the birth of each child. And the fact that, that Boaz and Ruth were able to raise a son was, would have been viewed as evidence of God's blessing in their life. And you can see in Ruth chapter 4, you see this, Naomi, right, the grandmother now, if you remember at the start of the story when, when you know, tragedy strikes multiple times and she returns to Bethlehem, she returns to Israel and they say, oh, hey, is that you, Naomi? And she says, D- please don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara. Right? And Mara means bitterness. And because she said, the Lord's dealt with me bitterly. And of course now, here she's holding her grandson and uh, and she's excited she's thanking God for it she's in a much different place the thing here right is is that you know God hasn't promised us easy God hasn't promised us easy sometimes you know I think in our our North American I don't know if it's North American mindset maybe it's just a selfish mindset maybe it's just me Right? When I think about God's goodness, I assume that that means God's going to just make everything real easy for me. But God never promises us easy. What he does promise is that he's faithful. He does promise us that he's trustworthy, that he's good even when we don't see it. Again, right, Psalm 20, 37 and 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. God knows your pain, God knows your disappointment. He knows the bitter things that you've experienced in life. Now that doesn't mean, right, it doesn't mean he's taking delight in the fact that you have experienced or that you are in pain right now. That's not what that means. It, you remember that it had two meanings, the, the word delight. One was to be pleased, the other one was to get closer, to lean in, to incline, and it's the second part of that word, the second, that second meaning that's at work here. God knows our pain. He knows our disappointment. He knows the things that have made us bitter in life. And in those moments, He leans in. He gets real close. He knows you. The Bible says that He cares for the brokenhearted, He comforts us when we mourn. We can trust Him in all things. And this is what this story so beautifully tells us that God can redeem everything. He can redeem our bad decisions. He can redeem tragedy that happens in our lives. God is always at work, leaning in, paying attention to the details of our lives. Even when we're kind of completely oblivious to the fact that He's at work, we can trust Him because He's faithful and He's good. He cares for us when we're broken hearted. He's close to us when we mourn. So to me, one of, the, one of the most fascinating parts of this story, one of the best parts of this story, is that Boaz and Ruth's son is named Obed. And Obed becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse becomes the father of David. Right, David, who kills Goliath, right david who wrote most of the psalms and david who becomes the king of israel and david eventually had a descendant named jesus you know i've i've mentioned it a few times in this series that god is always looking to speak to the outsider to add the outsider into his family to let them know that they're wanted and that they're welcome And I and I see his heart on display in this story. The the Jews, right, are, are God's chosen people. And God clearly stated in Scripture that He would use the nation of Israel to bring about the Messiah, the Savior. And yet, in the midst of that promise, of that declaration, what does God do? He weaves an outsider into the story. Somebody, right, from a completely different nation. He weaves her in. I mean, it, it's in Jesus' very DNA. I mean, Ruth is like the great, 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 so many great grandmother, right, of Jesus. It's in his bloodline. It's in his genealogy. And Jesus is the redeemer for all of humanity. See, God, God is so clearly saying to the world, I, I want all of you. No matter where you come from, no matter how outside of things you feel, I have a desire, I want you and I have a plan to bring you in. He Jesus, of course, right, is the redeemer of all humanity. And he wants to redeem every part of our lives, every bad decision, every struggle, every pain, painful or tragic event. God looks to redeem. And so our response is to, like Ruth, put God first in our life. This is the challenge or the goal for each and every one of us is to put God first despite what's happened in our lives. Let me encourage you today, right right now where you are, to to bring to God, to bring to Him your pain, to bring to God your disappointment your tragedy, bring to him right now whatever sense you have of being an outsider, right? I mean, we're in a season right now where we feel very disconnected from each other, right? Makes a lot of people feel like they're on the outside. You can bring that to him right now, right where you are. You can bring to God any bitterness you might have and surrender it to him, and put him first. Put him over it all. And then this week, I, I would encourage you to remind yourself. Every day when you wake up, just, just maybe write it down somewhere. Put it on a sticky note and put it on your bathroom mirror or something. That just The reminder that, that God redeems all things. That he's your redeemer. And let it work in to your heart and mind. That he wants to redeem things everything about our lives all right i'm going to pray for us and uh and the worship team is going to come back we'll uh, and we'll end with with a song but let's uh let's pray together today father in heaven thank you so much that you redeem all things so lord where we are right here right now god we do bring to you we bring to you our, our hurt, our disappointment, our pain. We bring to you our, our bitterness. God, we bring to you that the any sense we have of being on the outside looking in and wanting to belong. Lord, we bring it and and we surrender it to you and say, Jesus, we will put you first in our lives above all things. And Lord. I pray right now that you would speak to hearts and minds. So where you are right now, right? If, if you need to deal with pain or disappointment or bitterness or feeling like an outsider, I'm going to ask you just to simply ask God a, a question. Just, you know, say, say to him, God, what do you have to say to me about that? Whatever that is. God, what do you have to say to me about my pain? God, what do you have to say to me about feeling like an outsider? God, what do you have to say to me about my disappointment?